the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Crossover, step back! Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the tagger? It is a great night to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. Agent back to pass. Rushed out of the pocket. Throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Oh, he caught it! Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. It is Tuesday the 16th, and you're tuned in to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Good morning, fellas. Morning. Good morning. Boy, what a day yesterday. Huh? All kinds of local sporting news. Of course, you got Brenton Doyle hitting his second home run, uh, uh, second home run at the home. Series, yeah. Yeah, Brenton Doyle doing that. But before we get into the big news that, of course, is on the front page of the uh, journal sports section above the fold, another good article by Rick Kozlowski there. But let's talk about baseball sectionals. What action did we have or what action do we have coming up today? Well, we've got a winner-take-all uh, sectional championship game between Musselman and Hedgesville because Hedgesville was able to beat Musselman yesterday to force that game. 12-2 uh, is the final score. Lane DeLauder goes the distance in this game for the Eagles. Everybody in the lineup gets a hit. They had an eight-run second inning to put this game completely beyond doubt. Um, you know, Coach Grove said we had an extra time off because the game got canceled on Saturday. So we just kind of regrouped, had a good day hitting on on Saturday and, and came out in a force. And it sets up again a, a winner-take-all game tonight between the two teams. Parker Stone will be on location. We'll have plenty of coverage from that. Um, it's going to be a ton of fun uh, because uh, we'll hear from him in just a second. But he said something really poignant when he said, in my opinion, in a situation like this, the pressure is always on the team that needs to win one game, yep. which was Musselman yesterday. But now they both only have to win one game, so it's all about who handles pressure better. But, you know, for them to come out and handle their business, I mean, the game was almost never in doubt. Musselman starts out with a couple of doubles, Lore, and then Hartman. They jump out one nothing, And then after that, I mean, it was just an avalanche from Hedgesville. So, you know, they've got Tanner Matthew throwing today. They've got – that's the thing about what the weekend did for them. And I know it helped Musselman too, but Tanner Matthew and Jackson West are both aces. Uh, it's just that Hedgesville's got three of them with the lotter as well. So they've got those two guys completely at their disposal tonight. And Musselman should have the their rotation flipped around too. But, you know, this isn't your typical uh, slugfest because teams have just completely run out of pitching at this point in the season. Like, these are going to be really well-played games. And uh, we've got the, the softball regionals tonight, mm-hmm. which are on the air. But uh, I know a lot of attention is going to go to that Musselman-Hedgesville sectional final because it's been really entertaining baseball. Yeah, I had a really good feeling this was going to go to, th- to that third game just because of how competitive these two teams have been. They've been trading that top spot in the Berkeley division back and forth all season. And again, it points back to where we've been going to a lot in this conversation we've had over the past week to a week and a half. Once again, advantage Jefferson guys because now they have even more rest on their hands. This is a deciding third game. And whoever wins tonight between the Eagles and the Appleman is going to have to take on a full-on gauntlet with a really fresh Jefferson team, which is going to be a, a, a more of an uphill battle. It's essentially, we've been talking NBA playoffs as well. It's, it's, it's pretty much a team that clean sweep in the conference finals 
and then you get the other team plays in a game seven and then you got to go turn around and play in the finals mm-hmm. it, the team that has gone through a gauntlet of a game seven it's going to be harder than the team that actually just went through and swept everybody they're going to be have more rest more arms more energy in them and it again it's going to be really hard and whoever comes out of this berkeley section whether it's hedgesville or whether it's musselman is going to have a gauntlet of a task on their hands to rally themselves up quickly turn around and take on arguably the hottest and maybe best team overall in the panhandle and you could say maybe in the state right now in the jefferson cougars well let's talk about those softball because uh, they're a week ahead they're in the regionals and like you said we got that on the air right here on wpm and wcst yeah we do uh we got an article coming on the website here as well for people that want to check that out um between hedgesville and jefferson as well um it, it comes down to the sturdiness of Jefferson, last year's defending state champs, and what Coach Waters has been able to do with them, <clears throat> excuse me, and a couple of wild cards that Hedgesville has at their disposal, namely Kelsey Van Dyne and Gracie Brown. Uh, Van Dyne is somebody that can miss a lot of bats but has an inflated ERA um, and, and also had the key hit that propelled them to uh, the sectional title, coincidentally also over Musselman and the softball side of things. Uh, and then Gracie Brown's a freshman that leads the team in home runs. Um, and is also starting to come into her own as a pitcher. Um, so they've got a couple of giant killers, but Jefferson is probably the biggest giant that they've faced this season. Uh, Becca Munslow is probably the best hitter, I'm sorry, pitcher in the area. Uh, and you look at Presley and Harris and Dalton at the top of their lineup, Dalton especially, and one of the two matchups this season against Hedgesville drove in seven runs by herself. But Hedgesville and Jefferson locked horns twice in the regular season. Uh, 17 to two was one of the finals in that game going the way of Jefferson. The other was 10 to two. So they've outscored them 27 to four in both regular season matchups because it's postseason play. And because Hedgesville's got some capable seniors, I expect it at the very least to be much closer than it was in the regular season. Smart money's on Jefferson, but you know, anything can happen in postseason play. It's important for Hedgesville to, I, I don't know. There's, there's two ways you can take it. You make it a slugfest or you just make it a knife fight. Mm-hmm. And I expect the latter. I expect them to try to do everything they can to prevent runs tonight at Jefferson. I expect this first game to be a low score and quick moving game. Um, and hopefully that's what we'll get and, and give Hedgesville a chance to compete late into this series. Because, you know, you talked about uh, the, the mountain of playing Jefferson on the baseball side. You know, the two best softball teams in this section are Jefferson and Washington. Jefferson beats Washington in a, in a nail-biting series. Um, Hedgesville is a third, but a distant third. They have a lot to prove to prove that they belong with Jefferson. I'm not saying they can't do it because, again, they've got some pieces that can. Uh, but it's going to be a very, very tough ask. But that's why you play the games, and the game will be tonight at 7 o'clock. And if Hedgesville doesn't win this first game, I think they get swept in the series. I really do. They have to find a way to take this first game to steal momentum away. Jefferson softball is riding momentum right now. It's going to be tough for any team, frankly, in the entire state to knock off right now. And you really, if you take the first game, you set the statement up, you put all the pressure on Jefferson, and you go from there. But if they are unable to take that first game, I think this will be a two-game sweep and the Cougars will go on to the state tournament just like that. Just Hedgesville has to pull off that first game upset. I've, if it's not, I, I don't think it's going to be any competition at that point. They have to find a way to shake that momentum, I think. And I think that's something that's kind of haunted the softball teams in the Eastern Panhandle this season is trying to topple Jefferson. Washington has had their issues trying to do it. It seems like they get close every time, but just fall right when they're about to top of the mountain. 
and Hedgesville struggled against Jefferson both times. So, again, it's got to be a game one win for Hedgesville tonight. If not, I think this is going to be a sweep and done. You can always text us, 304-263-4321. We'll get to this first break a little bit early because we got all kinds of local sports news to talk about. So that'll be after this on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP Sports Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. Jordan Ice Winner alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Real quick, let's talk uh, MLB baseball briefly. Brenton Doyle up at the Colorado Rockies right now. Of course, the uh, Shepherd graduate, local Northern Virginia guy. Well, he's having a great start to his MLB, his show debut uh, season with two home runs yesterday in their 8-9 to nine win over the Reds. My goodness, what kind of a start to the season is this guy having? It's special. You know, he's a guy that's got a lot of tools, and there was a lot of pop in both of those home runs yesterday. Uh, none of them were unicorns. They would have all been, uh, both of them would have been a home run in every ballpark in America. Uh, talk about him hitting to the opposite field as well is really important. He's still six for six in stolen bases, now up to four home runs. We talked about 11 runs scored for somebody that's hitting in the bottom of the lineup and nine RBIs as well. Um, he's doing everything he can to put himself in a position to maintain his spot in the roster. He's an elite defender. He's an elite base runner. If he's got this kind of pop, that's the kind of thing that can make you stick and make Shepard look good. And I don't expect, I mean, I don't expect a lot of multi-home run games from him, but I don't expect him to slow down because his batted broke ball profile is speculating that he could hit the ball harder than he even is right now so hopefully it continues and he's been one of the big stories right now for this Rockies team this season again we've mentioned it's a team that probably isn't going to compete right now but they've got a lot of great young pieces and Brenton Doyle has just added to the rotation you got him who comes off a two homer game Ezekiel Tovar one of their top prospects in the middle infield Zach Veen's another top one in their corner outfield they're getting the pieces going right now, Colorado is. And if Brenton Doyle keeps this momentum going, I can't see a situation where they would send him back down to AAA. I think he's got staying power right now. And especially, you got an older, you're getting an older outfield right now. Charlie Blackman's getting in his mid to late 30s. Chris Bryant's on the wrong side of 30 now. And this Rockies team is building a young roster that could be built with Brenton Doyle as one of the key pieces in that lineup. He's batting in the nine hole, but don't be surprised if Brenton Doyle, if he keeps his momentum up, could be batting leadoff in the very foreseeable future for the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, and I uh, already forgot the date, but they do come down to D.C. next month. Is that what I said? I think it's middle of June, yeah, right? Like June. the 22nd or 24th? I think it's just a quick, like, three-game set. Why can't I see it? I can't find it now. Well, regardless, they come down uh, in June, either middle of June or middle of July. Middle of July. July 24th uh, is when their series starts in D.C. They got a Monday, Tuesday Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday set uh, before D.C. heads up to New York. But, Mark, circle down your calendar. So that makes the, the question a little bit different um, because if he was going to be down here in the middle or if this game was in the middle of June, he's got a real good chance to make it, you know, on that road trip. But looking forward an extra month, fellas, a lot of ball games get played between now and July 24th. Do you think he's got the staying power? I mean, of course, small sample size. But as of right now, you think he's got the staying power to make it a little bit further into the summer? I think so. You know, he's on the right um, team. He's getting mm-hmm. to he, he's getting to the point. He's 25. You know, yeah. and like this is the point in your career where it's not a wait and see. It's we want to know what we have in you. So if you're going to compete, you're going to compete first now. You know, if he was 22, it's like, hey, we want to send him back down to double A so he can work on, you know, get 50 mm-hmm. more at-bats against left-handed pitching. Like you're closer to the finished product. Uh, you're very close to the finished product from what that organization would like to put into you. So 
I would absolutely keep him. I mean, unless they deal him, which I don't think they would do at this point because he's still somebody you want to wait and see how good he is. Send him to D.C. <laughs> we'll take him in Washington. But no, I, I, I would say he's in a pretty good spot to stay up. Yeah, especially when you're in Colorado, too. It's ideal hitting for a hitter at this point. And again, 25 years old, there's not much of a point to send a guy back down at that mm-hmm. point, especially the way he's playing right now. I can't see a scenario where he's built that way. But Colorado's not in the situation to deal, I think, unless Doyle starts putting up insane numbers like this and then okay they're gonna sell him at the deadline to get a haul back but i i think right now he he has staying power in the majors he's i feel like he's gonna stay in colorado for the foreseeable future as they're again they're trying to rebuild and trying mm-hmm. to compete in a really tough national league west right now yeah he's playing for the right team to uh stay up especially with the way that he's been playing early doors being in texas 304-263-4321 the panhandle sports live text line 304-263-4321 Let's talk about big news, fellas. The headline in the sports page today, Walker returns home to coach the Bulldogs again. Apparently, it was the worst-kept secret in the state of West Virginia, but Dave Walker is back as Martinsburg Bulldogs head coach after a short stint down in Concord. Now, he's made you know a couple different remarks now in media and on social media and things, and a few interesting quotes uh, I saw here in the, uh, in the article, again, at the Martinsburg Journal. Now, I'm going to paraphrase a bit, uh, except for this one. He said, quote, I I missed living in the panhandle. Uh, And he also said, quote, I didn't have some of the same resources here, talking about at Concord, that I had at Martinsburg. So I guess the the full general question, what do you guys think about Dave Walker coming back? And what do you think about him kind of saying that he wasn't necessarily too happy in Concord? Yeah, I I guess that makes sense. You know, it's it's a completely different game. going from college to high school and he did have some success don't get us wrong you know down in Concord they were a game away and we argued or snub for making the division two postseason I thought they were the seventh best team in the region they just missed out um but it, it, I, I know Martinsburg the reaction has been incredibly positive especially mm-hmm. when the other angle to this story is what we can confirm that Britt Sherman is staying on his staff as his offensive coordinator as well as some other roles within the program so you know the fact that both of them are staying I think that it's a it's a positive reaction from Martinsburg fans knowing that they've got a very talented roster of players and that you've got two head coach quality coaches that have won championships for this program. Walker, who's won nine, and Sherman, who won one, uh, both making sure that they've got a hold on this team's future. So, you know, I, I know there's a lot of optimism as, as per usual with Martinsburg fans. But, you know, it's a, it's a shame Coach Walker just kind of wanted to try the college ranks. And I wouldn't say that it was a failure. You know, we talked yesterday about uh, Rick Pitino and John Calipari, Nick Saban mm-hmm. of coaches that jump up to the next level and get embarrassed and realize that this is not my level. I, I, I can't, for whatever reason, I don't have what it takes to coach at this level. He went up to, to Concord, as, as Parker has talked about several times, and took a horrible program, with all due respect, and put them within a game of the Division II postseason. It recruited Jack Mangold, got Gerard Bowie, and turned him into a Division I caliber player if he wasn't one already. Right. Um, so it's not like he failed. It's just that he's wanting to come back somewhere it appears that he's more comfortable. Uh, and you know, while the rest of the state may groan that the Bulldogs are back, uh, I think it's a move that makes a lot of sense, and it's a move that's going to lead to continued success for Martinsburg like we've seen in the past. And I felt like this offseason might have been one where a lot of questions were going to be asked about a lot of teams in the panhandle with Britt Sherman resigning the question mark with that. And maybe teams were thinking, okay, this could be the window where the Eastern Panhandle Athletic Conference title for football is finally fully up for grabs, it feels like. 
if I'm any team in the EPAC or I'm any team rather in the state of West Virginia, I'm quaking in my boots right now because not only do you bring Dave Walker back, arguably the greatest high school head football coach in the state of West Virginia, you retain Britt Sherman. That's humongous. That's that's a power play, and that's going to be tough for any team to go up against. Two head coach quality coaches on the same staff is going to be really hard for any team, not only in the Eastern Panhandle, not only in the state of West Virginia. And I would imagine they're still going to keep that model that Britt was wanting to put in, take Martinsburg football from a statewide to a region-wide thing. That's going to make it even harder for teams, too. And that that's just going to grow Martinsburg football even more so. It's cool to see Coach Walker back in the panhandle. He sounds like he missed being here. Welcome back. And I'm excited to see what Martinsburg does this season with him back. Now, were you guys not a little surprised that Sherman stayed on his staff as offensive coordinator? Especially now, I mean, when you have that Martinsburg head coaching tag on your resume, I mean, at that point, I mean, you, you can't, you're not necessarily picking a job, but it certainly helps get you a job in a lot of other high schools or if you want to stay, you know, in that realm or even like Dave Walker did to move up the ranks to, uh, you know, a smaller college level. So were you a little surprised that Sherman stayed on staff to be the offensive coordinator instead of maybe going to try and head coach somewhere else? Not necessarily. I think for two reasons. Number one, there's a comfort level for him, too. I yeah. mean, he's going to They're probably let's just they're probably going to win a state championship yeah. this year. So, yeah. you know, to be around for another one of those. Uh, and, and, and kind of take in some of the knowledge that Dave Walker's bringing with him from coming back from college. Uh, and number two, so Britt, that kind of started this saga, resigned from teaching. Um, he's in a position to kind of do whatever he wants. So he could stay for a year and then take a job somewhere else. You know, I don't think he wants to get too hasty and say, yeah. well, I'm going to jump at the first job. You know, he's in a spot where it's not just West Virginia. You know, schools in Maryland, schools mm -hmm. in Virginia, you know, schools in this area that – want to compete at a high level can, you know, court him. You know, he's putting himself in a position that if he wants to leave, teams will come to him. Say, hey, we want you to do with the, our program what you did with Martinsburg. Not, well, Dave's coming back. I'm going to go jump off the ship and go right. somewhere the first school I can find. So I think that if he's going to leave, and I don't know, I'm just speculating, he's just he's going to make the teams come to him and, you know, be more comfortable with that decision and have the ultimate golden parachute which is being the offensive coordinator for the best dynasty in the history of high school football, not named Parkersburg. So uh, I don't think it's that big of a surprise. Ten years from now, if he's still the offensive coordinator, maybe. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that he's in a pretty good position to do just about whatever he wants. And this past year, we saw somebody else do the same exact thing. Tyler Haynes for the Shepherd Rams. Yeah, he goes. Yeah. He goes from Urbana. The school folds. He comes to Shepherd, leads one of the best offenses, arguably in Division Two history. Gets a call from Catawba College, gets a head coaching job. And Coach McCook talked in length about that was one of the goals for the season was to get Coach Haynes a head coaching job once again. And this could be a situation, the same thing for Britt Sherman here. Take a step back, lead one of the best offenses projectedly in the state, down the line, go get you a big head coaching job somewhere. That could be the same thing here. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing getting on that plane with the team after that uh, Mines game. And after everybody gets on the plane and everything starts moving, you start hearing just trickles coming from the back. Where's Coach Haynes? Where's Coach Haynes? And then, what, two days later, you see it pop up on Twitter. He's the coach down at Catawba. But, yeah, it's a good parallel. I didn't even, um, didn't even think of that. I guess you are right. I mean, you do lose a little bit of that or a significant amount of that pressure going in the offensive coordinator role or to a you know assistant coaching role, if you will. And you still have all the you know capabilities to take over a game and control a game like you want to. So, yeah, maybe you're right. But what do you think out there? 304-263-4321. It says a good hire, rehire for Martinsburg. Bring Dave Walker back. Do you think 
uh, was, in your words, was a failure his time down at Concord? And you think, you know, he's going to have another success? Do you agree with Luke? They're going to win a state championship this year now or this coming season. Text us, 304-263-4321. We'll come back and keep talking to Dave Walker after this on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Sports Live, your home for sports in the Panhandle. Here's Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Ice Winter, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. You can tweet us at EP Sports Network. You can always text us 304-263-4321. We're talking Dave Walker being rehired as Martinsburg head football coach after his short but successful stint down at Concord. And before we get back into uh, talking about Walker and the hire specifically, you talked about some of the guys that he brought in to Concord last year, specifically Rob Bowie. I mean, he's from up here. He's an unbelievable talent. Should and more, most likely will be going D1, I would imagine. Uh, smart money's probably on that now he's in the transfer portal. But, Parker, you said, a quick little investigative journalism on Twitter, that he's been retweeting a lot of Shepherd guys and a lot of Shepherd things. So, I mean, we can make assumptions here, I guess, if you will. But I wouldn't hate seeing Rob Bowie running up and down Ram Stadium. No, not at all. And the reference point of this, I was checking the uh, – rumor mill around that uh their quarterback at concord jack mangle he decided to withdraw his name from the transfer portal and return back to the mountain lines with the uh interesting the, well they hired a new coach at concord almost yeah. immediately they had a uh, brian ferguson their uh offensive coordinator over at concord he got elevated to head coach yesterday but Bowie's still out there he seems like he's pushing his name and again it, the only knock you could really say on dry Bowie is the stature if he was six foot 185 190 he'd be playing at a power five school. what is he 510 59 i think smaller i think maybe what is he like 57 who gerard Bowie? uh I can't, I'll, I'll look and see what he's listed i don't think he's that small i just think he's he's slender yeah he's real he's the kind of guy that you worry if he takes a hit he's 59 so i mean probably 58 not wearing cleats yeah but the uh, reference point was okay i check here he retweeted all of the uh <laughs> Rams draftees and you say okay it's local school makes sense okay it's Tyson he played with Tyson right. at Martinsburg but all four of these guys makes you raise an eyebrow a little bit of is Gerard Bowie thinking about maybe coming here which I don't hate that idea if he he could be in a prolific offense here at Shepard it's yeah. a proven track record you got NFL drafted talent a little better conference in a better conference, better eyes on you, in my opinion, than in the Mountain East. Well, do you want to get really irresponsible? Because uh, Shepard's got a need at wide receiver, mm-hmm. losing Marlon Cook, and Gerard Bowie makes a lot of sense. Shepard has a need at running back. Yeah. And Braxton Todd, Martinsburg Bulldog, who was at Bowling Green, is also in the transfer portal and also popped up a couple of times around draft parties. Uh, so, Man. with one fell swoop, could Ernie McCook fix the majority of Shepard's offensive problems by getting the guy that led all of college football? And that's why I said he should have won the Harlan Hill. He won, he led all of college football in receiving yards and did not yeah and did not play in the postseason, which is unbelievable. And Braxton Todd, who's a Division One talent at running back. And again, I'm, this is just this is just speculation. Right. If they're able to get the two of those players, <laughs> they're in a pretty good spot, uh, especially if they are able to land on Seth Morgan or get Christian yeah. Hutchinson to play at a high level because both those guys are available and both of those guys have significant ties to Dwayne Grantham, who's already on the team, uh, and the region, of course, having played at Martinsburg. And I'll, the thing is, too, the, uh, the IUP team from yeah. last season, their quarterback was a transfer guy in, and – 
I'll be honest, he he didn't really pop for Didn't me. they bring another guy in, or was that... Everybody's what? bringing in somebody. Yeah, everybody, everybody, somebody everybody else brought a big quarterback. I thought it was bringing like in somebody. Uh, Maybe it was I know Westchester's pretty happy they got their quarterback to stay. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a... It's an arms race right now because everybody yeah. thinks there's a vacuum of power. Right. And everybody knows... The The question now becomes, if you're Joe Schmo, average Division One quarterback, say Jared Deggy for Mountaineer fans out there, <laughs> you just saw Tyson Bajan. I'm not claiming that Tyson Bajan is the same level of Deggy. I think he's better. But at what point do you say, I don't want to transfer from being a Division... or Power 5 walkout, or washout to Bowling Green and also continue to get killed. I want to go to a Division 2 school and yeah. put up Tyson Bajan numbers and try to get drafted. You know, how often are we going to see that kind of quarterback talent fall down into Division 2 to be the next Tyson Bajan? There's only one Tyson Bajan before people jump on me, but, you know, your average Division 1 quarterback doesn't think that. So I think the quarterback talent like Seth Morgan, mm -hmm. is going to continue to get better at the Division Two level, which hopefully Shepard can use to their advantage. Well, you had said that during the season, that uh, especially if Tyson would have gotten drafted, if his name would have gotten called, that would have definitely made a significant difference. But um, say his name gets called, that automatically turns Shepard into you know quarterback U, small, yep. small school quarterback U, and then for all the other guys, and that pro day, I think, was really the big thing, was like, look, it doesn't matter if we're Tyson Bajan or not. These odds are still going to be here regardless, and we're going to get our chance. And I think you were right in saying that that's going to be a huge draw, especially now that three of those guys are up there. You know, they got – they signed, you know, uh, those minicamp offers and deals, and they're up there doing their thing now. I mean, that's just only going to bolster the uh, shine for people to come to Shepard. Well, yeah, absolutely, especially if Seth Morgan hits, for example. And I, I don't care who the quarterback is, but let's just say for the thought exercise that it's Seth Morgan. That means that in the last 10 years, you've had Jeff Siemba, who mm -hmm. was a Harlan Hill caliber player, uh, Tyson Bajan, who won the Harlan Hill and is now on an NFL roster and hopefully will be when the season starts, and then Seth Morgan. So you can say that Ernie McCook is the quarterback whisperer. You know, he's right. the Lincoln Riley of Division Two coaching. And then he can get to an even higher level of uh, of talent. Remember when uh, the Mountaineers had a quarterback transfer to Division Two and Jack Allison? It was a bad idea, but he went to West Liberty. You know, if he was able to, let's say Garrett Green loses out his job and all of a sudden he wants to come here and put up Super Bowl-like numbers. So, yeah, that, I mean, Shepard football's in a pretty good spot, and it's clear that they're l still landing a, a high level of transfer because Seth Morgan's a big get. Those wide right. receivers from the MEC were a big get. Uh, the the Easter's Eastern Tennessee linebacker was a big get. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, if they're able to get Bowie like we were just talking about, uh, that would put them in an even better spot. Braxton Todd would put him in an even better spot and prove that um, Ernie McCook's not going anywhere anytime soon. Now, I want to ask you, Parker, Dave Walker leaving Concord, right? He mm -hmm. was there. He made such a huge splash, huge impact. I mean, it was the first time in a long time that Concord had a reason to go cheer on the football team, right? Mm -hmm. Now he's gone. How much does this set back? Concord music go back to those days you know maybe when you were a freshman and you talked about nobody ever went to go to football <laughs> games and things like that I mean does that set them back that far now with Dave Walker being gone I don't think so I think the groundwork has been laid I no, no disrespect at all on this statement but I think just when Paul Price took that job whenever the I, the name's escaping me I'll have to look back and get the name here in a minute but Paul Price took the team over whenever the coach that led Concord to the national semifinal moved up he just was not a good head coach. And I think just a bad culture was set. A culture of losing was set. And Dave Walker has reversed that culture. I think his lasting impact, although it's a short tenure at Concord, it's one that brought a lot of hope for the first time in a long time to a mountain lion program. 
the hiring of Brian Ferguson, the promotion of him, I think is a great hire. Again, it's a guy who led one of the best offenses in Division II last year. And he has NFL experience as well. He was a position coach with the Jacksonville Jaguars at one point, and he worked as a strength and conditioning coach under Tony Dungy. And that's, that's national football pedigree. And that's a guy that's coming to Concord, going to lead his team. It's his first head coaching job, so that's, of course, going to be a learning curve. It's a guy who played at the D2 level at Adams State. So it's a guy who knows the game. And I think that, that Concord football is going to be in good hands with Ferguson leading the way. But, again, what – the really the culture shift that Dave Walker took this team from from being a doormat in the Mountainies to one of the best teams in the Mountainies. That's going to be what takes this team from a culture of losing to a culture of consistently competing in the top of this football conference because the MEC is also tough. We talk about how tough the PSAC is. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think the Mountainies is as tough as the PSAC, but it's still a very tough conference. you got Charleston that's competitive every year, Fairmont State. You've got West Liberty that's competitive every other year. And Frostburg State, who just moved up from Division Three a couple years ago, but are contending for Mountain East championships. So it's it's going to be really comes down to the recruiting classes, the signing, the pulling of Coach Ferguson, but getting Jack Mangle to come back, I think, yeah. is huge for Concord. Absolutely, yeah. I just seen his tweet here uh, saying, "I'd like to thank all the coaches that recruited me." You know, with that being said, decided to withdraw my name from the portal, finished my career at Concord. Talking about Coach Ferg, uh, B Ferg twenty seven. The coach Twitter <laughs> handles are the best. Um, but uh, so let's finish what we started. So that is surprising. I would have thought that once Walker was gone, it had been a mass exodus out of Concord, people trying to go you know, to greener pastures because it seems like the easy and the thing that everybody's doing nowadays. But like you said, pretty big uh, keep to keep him there. The, the only thing I'd say reading into this situation is that this uh, coach, Brian Ferguson, I'm sure he's a good coach because mm-hmm. you know, this, this is a high-octane offense, that Concord pretty transparently hired him as the head coach for the biggest reason to keep Jack Mangold. <laughs> right, yeah. Because <laughs> if if they wanted to bring in a whole new culture and a whole new staff, Mangold leaves and they'd probably be back to not being very good. Mm-hmm. With him, they're a 500 team, absolutely. You know, and you the last thing you need is to take a four-game back drop. You know, if you if you go from finishing above 500 to finishing below 500, that would, that would make things get a little panicky down there. So this was a move to keep Jack Mangold. And hopefully, you know, Coach Ferguson, now the new head coach at Concord, uh, can really take that step and help them keep driving forward, like Parker just said. But it, it was clear, I think, that this move was to keep Mangled in the fold, and I think that's a smart decision. And do you really think that this Dave Walker hire, I mean, of course, the Bulldogs had a great season last year, come, come to, came up just short uh, winning that state championship, which, of course, is a, a failure of a season for Martinsburg fans, I would think, if they don't win a national or a state championship. But now the Walker's back. I mean, you said they're probably going to win the championship this coming year. Is that enough? Is it enough with the guys that they have? I mean, that just the change of a head coach bringing Dave Walker back is enough to put him back up to the you know the top step of the state? Oh, 100%. 100%. Because I think I said this yesterday, the two teams that finished above them that made it to the Super 6 both lose their quarterbacks. In Parkersburg South, there's Robert Shockey transferred um, to either Cabell Midland or Hurricane. Cabell Midland. Cabell Midland. And, uh, and then Lockhouse going to college. So you retain one of your two quarterbacks. You retain one of the best interior offensive and defensive linemen in the state, Andrew Mir Hunter. I think they were going to win a state championship whether or not Dave Walker came back or not. Right. I just think that's how talented they are. I also think that the majority of the roster coming back is they had a young offensive and defensive line that is now upset you poked the hornet's nest, mm-hmm. that they were going to you know put the world on watch. Then you put Dave Walker back into that. And dare I say, the opportunity now to – 
get into the transfer portal and yeah. take players. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a different, you know, people have been making their jokes online, but I mean, you, you can do it now. You know, it's just how it works. Yeah. It's, hey, Openly do it. Yeah, absolutely. You want to come here and be my number two wide receiver and get a thousand yards in the college scholarship? Okay. No. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's, so it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that adjustment's been made, but you just bring back Dave Walker, who literally recruited players legally in college because yep. that was his job. Yep. So has that experience now. So yeah, I, I think it is enough. We, I, although I know I've heard good things out of Musselman and Jefferson's got a lot of I think the EPAC's gonna be really strong this year because like let's just say that Washington's not going to be very good because Coach Ray needs a year. Yeah. But you know, Musselman, they've got a, a, a shiny new quarterback and a very good upscale, up tempo offense. You got a Jefferson team that's got Dylan Harris, is one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the state. Hedgesville's tough. I mean, yeah. they, they're physical, uh, and they've got uh, Dalton Harper, who's going to play quarterback, who won that game for them against Spring Mills. Spring Mills has one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the state, and Max Anderson, who's throwing the ball really well. Mm -hmm. So while I don't know if any of these teams have the silver bullets to kill Martinsburg, because it's been a long time <laughs> since they've lost to an EPAC team. But this is one of the best talent years we've seen in the Eastern Panhandle from top to bottom in a while. I'm excited. I mean, football season is still, what, like six months away? It'll be here before we know it. But, yeah. I mean, I know that's what drives the attention in this area, and rightfully mm -hmm. so. It's 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 going to be fun. Well, we got a text here. 304-263-4321 is the text line. The texter says, prediction, state title for Martinsburg. Murphy Clement wins Kennedy Award and yeah. gets a D1 scholarship. Yeah, I think it's a pretty safe bet. And, and the texture might have to. I don't think that Martinsburg had a Kennedy Award winner until Gerard Bowie. He might have been the first. Let's see. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Murphy Clement is going to be handed the keys to that offense. I yeah. mean, what they did with him offensively last year was crazy because you had Ezra Bajan and him splitting time. So he takes snaps in the slot. He takes snaps at quarterback. He takes snaps at running back. Now it's, hey, Murphy, you're taking every snap at quarterback. Although I know that they've got Coy Fagan as well as the future of that position. And it's go out and make plays for us. And he is somebody that can play at the Division One level. I don't know if it's going to be as a safety or as a slot or as a quarterback or whatever, but he's going to be fun to watch. He's going to be a very different type of player. Yeah, it's going to be the floor in the EPAC is going to be high. It's going to be very high. And I'm sure right now you look on paper, it's probably going to be Washington being the floor of this EPAC because of two things. One, Coach Ray needs time to build a culture. He's changing an offense that – was a high-run offense to one that likes to throw the ball a lot, and he needs to get the pieces in there. But you look at the rest of these teams. You look at Musselman. We've mentioned them building. Troy Wilson's going to come back and be healthy for them on defense. That's going to be huge for the Appleman. You've got Hedgesville. I I I love Demonte Martin at wide receiver, guys. He is. I I think he has the potential to be the best wide receiver in the EPAC this season. He has the physical tools. He has the ability. I think he's the best jump ball receiver in the EPAC right now. And then you throw in Spring Mills, Max Anderson. If he can consistently throw the ball and add that element of a passing game to the Cardinal offense, they're going to be tough to beat, and everybody as well. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tough run for everybody. You can text us, 304-263-4321. Fellas, if you ever want to know if anybody's listening, just have a little bit wrong information about Martinsburg football. I, I took a big swing and missed that one. <laughs> and we're gonna, you're going to know if people are listening or not. So there have been uh, a few different um, Martinsburg Bulldogs to win the Kennedy Award. Brandon Barrett in 02 and 03. That's the big one that everybody's texting about. But the first one that I saw from the Panhandle was back in 95, and forgive me if I say his uh, last name wrong, Frank Alvalido, mm. running back, linebacker at Hedgesville so back in 95. When we were putting Alavito, together... Frank Alavito. When we were putting together our information in the packets and stuff on Walker, I saw somewhere, maybe it was the Metro News Award, that Bowie was the first 
Martinsburg player to win some award, and mm-hmm. I got that stuck in my head. But yeah, I, I, I should a program of stories. <laughs> and then Nate Sowers, so it was 020304 yeah. for the Bulldogs. <laughs> exactly. There you go. So, uh, so I, I, I shouldn't have bet against the the rich history of Martinsburg football, but I appreciate people setting me straight. Yeah, that was funny. That's uh, yeah. If you ever want to know if anybody's listening or not, just say something a little bit wrong. Bar- about Barker said they could win their first championship this year. Get everybody really going. Yeah, their there first state go. championship, yeah. right? Yeah. This little program, Martinsburg. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of them. Well, text us 304-263-4321. We'll step aside one final time. We'll come back, get Parker's picks, and start to wrap things up on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Mix up your sports coverage with Panhandle Sports Live. Heard on the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Ice Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 luck. Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Prove it, it's never fails. Never failed once. All right, it was two for three yesterday. Our lock of the day did hit. It was the under on goals last night in the Stars and Kraken matchup. It was a really good hockey game if you were up to stay for it. The Stars ended up besting the Kraken in Game 7. They will advance into the Stanley Cup playoffs, as well as we did hit on the Padres beating the Royals 4-0, to zero, the final score in that one, and Michael Walker threw a heck of a game. One, one hit, 11 <laughs> strikeouts, great pitching game for Michael Walker. Clutches up in one of our bonus picks. But sadly, our other bonus pick was unable to come through as it was an absolute offensive onslaught in the Orioles game last night between the Angels. 9-5 to five the final. The Angels topped the O's in a game where Shohei Otani comes a double away from hitting for the cycle while also pitching. He is really be, – be thankful you get to watch Shohei Otani because this is, this is like the reincarnation of Babe Ruth is what it really is boiling down to. But – Going to turn to some basketball today for today's lock of the day. The Western Conference Finals start today. It is the Lakers and it is the Nuggets. And this is going to be, and I'm sorry because I disrespected them all throughout the conference semifinals. The Nuggets are taking game one tonight. That's that's today's lock of the day. The Nuggets beat the Lakers. I just think Denver's going to be bumping for this first game. It's going to be a high-octane environment. A lot of people are saying this is the Nuggets year. They have a really solid roster from top to bottom and arguably the best player in the league right now in Nikola Jokic. I think they take game one in Denver tonight. That's today's lock of the day. Also, I think Jamal Murray has a big game one for the Nuggets. He scores 25 or more points tonight for Denver. If it's not Jokic, and of course they're going to key in on him for Los Angeles, whether LeBron or Anthony Davis is going to be on him, Jamal Murray is going to get his chance to get his. So I think he's going to get 25 or more points tonight. For Denver, and I think the Orioles do take game two in this series against the Angels tonight. I think they get the win over in Camden Yards. They take down the Angels and even their series at one apiece. So Nuggets win over the Lakers is today's lock of the day. Jamal Murray, 25 or more points, and then the Orioles top the Angels. That is today's Parker's Picks. Well, guys, uh, Luke sent us a tweet yesterday, last night, uh, (laughs) talking about uh, the Yankees game and with Aaron Judge, right? So... Of course, cheating in baseball is at the front of mind, thanks to the Astros a couple years ago. Everybody's looking out for guys trying to cheat and do different things, especially hitting. And all of a sudden, this video came out of Aaron Judge, or um, yeah, it was Aaron Judge, standing at the plate, going through his at-bat, and right as the pitcher would come set, you'd see him glance over towards the uh, Yankees' dugout and then look back at the pitcher, and then you know the pitch would come through. So as the announcers were talking about this, and you can see the video on Twitter, 
They're talking about it, whatever. He's going through the at-bat. He does it. He looks over. It's ball away. He looks over. Ball up. Next pitch, as they're talking about it, and they're pretty much trying to say he's cheating without saying he's cheating, all of a sudden he looks over, fastball down the middle. He hits it, what, 1,400 feet out of the whole you know world at that point. So the question now, and the big question on Twitter, is Aaron Judge cheating? Are the Yankees cheating? Is this as bad as the Astros? I don't think it is because, I mean, when I my freshman year of college, they taught us how to take, or you know, read signs and relay them through the dugout to the hitter, right? It's just part of baseball. But that being said, look what the Astros did, and that's changed everything. So what, what's your guys' thoughts on Aaron Judge? Do you think he's cheating? Is he doing anything bad? I don't think it's nothing too bad, but what do you think? Now, I believe how the Yankees handled this um, was Aaron Oh, they Boone, say something? They come yeah, out and they say did. something? Well, I'm looking for the quote, sorry. But basically, to summarize, Aaron Boone had gotten ejected in this game, which was ironic. It was 6 nothing. He was whining the umpire about his strike zone. Uh, he got ejected, and people were saying that there was a commotion still going on in the dugout. Um, Here, I got the I got Aaron Judge's clip if you want to listen to it. Sure. So here's Aaron Judge uh, addressing these uh, allegations after the game. The, um, the Blue Jays broadcast appeared to catch you looking um, at, uh, it was unclear where, but maybe at the first base coach or the catcher for location. Was there anything going on there as far as uh, what where you were looking during that time? For what? Um, right before you hit your second home run of the game. Is that the eighth inning? Oh. Yeah, it was kind of a lot of chirping from our our dugout, which I really didn't like in the situation where it's a six nothing game and I know Booney got tossed. Like I was trying to save Booney by calling timeout. Like, hey, hold up here. Like, let me let me work here. So I was kind of trying to see who was who was chirping in the dugout. So it's six nothing. Like let's Booney got tossed. Let's let's go to work now. So other than the fact that the Yankees have a great clubhouse <laughs> playlist, my goodness, that was awesome that was... Uh, there in the background. But like Luke was saying, uh, it's, it sounds like he heard a commotion in the dugout. He's trying to see what was going on. It just so happened it was in between pitches, and he didn't have a chance to call timeout. Whatever. But again, what do you think? I think they're tipping pitches. Like, and that's not illegal, right? You know, I was talking to some some buddies of mine yesterday. You know, to give away the big streak secret of post two baseball, but it was always. You know, if you're a runner on second base and you can relay yeah. the signs, it was a fist was a fastball and flash yep. the palm or for a breaking Take ball. your helmet off, you mess yep. with your hair, exactly. all kinds of different things. You'd have some kind of relay. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was getting a hand signal from the dugout, which isn't necessarily illegal because people have been stealing signs forever. You know, if you had a buzzer on them or if there's somebody out there wearing a headset or but like that, their was Apple that a minor watch. league team or was it a college team that had the headsets and the, the coach had to resign at the game because yeah, of the thing? And it, they had to like keep taking players off the field to take their, their helmets off to take these, just they're pulling these little radios out of it like it was Star Wars. I, I, I don't really think it's going to be a big, because it's the Yankees. Yeah. You know, like if um, the A's are a bad example. If the Texas Rangers were doing this, no one would care. Right. You know, but uh, the Angels, I'm sorry, the Blue Jays broadcast jumped on this and everyone kind of made a big deal out of it because it's the Yankees. But I don't really think nothing much is going to become of it. But you're right. In that situation, they were right to point it out because it looked very weird. It did look weird, especially mm -hmm. when they're calling it out and then he hits a home run. Yeah. That was yeah, that was a little out of there, I think. But What do you think, Parker? You think he's cheating? I mean... Do you I, think tipping sides is cheating? No. I don't either. It's it's part of the game. They're che cheating in baseball go together like peanut butter and jelly. Am I right? <laughs> as as awful as it is to say, unfortunately, yes, you're you as, are very as correct. awful as it is to say. But I, I saw this pop up on my feed, guys. I want to see if we've got a little bit of time left. Mm -hmm. I want to see you guys' thoughts on this. So it's a tweet from uh, Brett McMurphy over on Twitter. He's a uh, college football analyst for Action Network, 
and big big falling over his way. So he said in a report yesterday, in Clemson, Florida State, Miami, North oh, yeah. Carolina, NC State, Virginia, and Virginia Tech are the quote magnificent seven ACC schools. Those schools, and this is being reported by Ross Dellinger for SI, reported have met in several months with lawyers examining grant of rights to determine just how unbreakable it is. So potentially to get out of the ACC, that that deal runs through twenty thirty six. So, and I've said this before. I'm I I fully expect us to go to a four if not three conference structure. Um, ACC's next out. Yeah, yeah, if the ACC goes, then the Pac-12 will go. So they'll just be an arms race between the best teams out of the ACC will go to the SEC um, or the Big Ten. They'd be split in half. Uh, and then the Big 12 would try to get all the scraps, which uh, the Big 12 would do well to scoop up a lot of these ACC teams and create a Big 12 West and a Big 12 East. You know, if they're able to scoop up um, Pitt. You don't think Carolina and them will go into the SEC? That's what I'm saying. Like he just so those seven schools are going to go to the SEC. Oh, okay. Like I see the ones that are left behind. I don't know right, if all right, seven right. are going to go to the SEC. So name them again. Cle- Clemson, yes. will go to the SEC. SEC. Florida State will yes. go to the SEC. Miami will go to the SEC. UNC, I think it go to the Big Twelve. No way. No, they're not the Southern school. Well, it's not. It's not even that. It's if they're going to go somewhere else, it's going to be the Big Ten. They're like the Big Twelve's not getting the blue chip school anytime soon you and the think, sec i mean they're they're turning into a basketball conference slowly but surely yeah, and that's Carolina, what all these schools now, are in for. they're I, going to the sec i could see unc and uva going to the big 10 just because how much the big 10 values their academics sure nc state i can see is a big 12 team. i to be fair i have no idea i don't think anybody cares about nc state to be completely honest with you <laughs> but yeah so say nc state who am i boston college pitt the Big 12 would do well if there was a vacuum at that in that conference to pick those up and create a big And then you put Virginia East. Tech into the Big 12 too. You got an automatic rivalry every year with go. West Virginia. No, they don't go. want they don't want rivalries, dude. They don't want <laughs> no regional one wants rivalries. Nobody we'll wants regional rivals anymore. But if you missed today's show, you can listen back to it a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. You can always tweet us at EP Sports Network and you can text us 304-263-4321. For Parker and Luke, I'm Jordan. This has been Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Live is next. Have a good one. We'll talk to you tomorrow. WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.